Seltzer Kings podcasts. No, Gavin. No, I do not want to know what your parents had sex on. Ever. Yes. The following podcast contains... Damn, that's nasty. I'm sorry. That was nasty. That's just nasty. That's just nasty. Oh, that's nasty. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you thought, you know what's missing from sex? Seasickness? What the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, in this episode number 359, Sleeping in the Wet Spot on Your Waterbed edition of the show, where we talk about that time America slept on sloshy bags filled with water. Stay tuned. The What the Hell You Thinking Podcast is brought to you by Ben's Bed Baffles. When the mattress is too wavy, you need a Ben's Bed Baffle. Every waterbed sleeper knows two things. You can't have one on the second floor, and you're going to feel the pull of the moon every high tide. That's why you need a baffle for your bed. A bed baffle from Ben's provides the support and stabilization you need to keep from drifting out to sea. A foam support bed baffle smooths out the motion of the ocean no matter what size of the ship sleeping on top. If you've got a waterbed, sleep better on a Ben's bed baffle. Miles say superior waterbed. It's Superior Waterbed 7th Anniversary Kodak Instamatic Camera Giveaway! Purchase any bed at our regular low prices and get this Kodak Instamatic Camera absolutely free. Honey, I really love our new Superior Waterbed. And this free camera's great. Get your free Kodak Instamatic Camera during the month of November with any bed purchase at Superior Waterbed. Can you get the picture? Sleep like a baby on a Superior Waterbed. Sometime in the early 1980s, my parents did the most hippest, most radical thing I can think of for two very conservative and very generic white people. Coke-fueled key parties, like, all night long. Ah, no, or if they did, which I'm positive they didn't, I I don't want to know about it. What they did do was swap out their sensible box spring and mattress for a king-sized waterbed. Get your freak on, boo. Uh, Again, no, and again, if they did, I don't want to know about it. This bed was a monster. This huge wooden platform with posts suitable for tying arms and legs to, and I know what you're thinking right now, but... uh, Because the bed platform was also a chest of drawers large enough to comfortably contain the belongings of a family of 14, there was nothing sexy about this bed. Now, I know nothing about my parents' sex life because, again, I don't want to, but what I do know is no one could look at this massive fake mahogany beast and have sexy times cross their minds. This might be why my parents only slept on it for a year or so before they decided they were not waterbed people. This was probably because the bed was so large, it had its own currents. Like a riptide, sweetheart, pulling and pulling. Still, they did pay a lot of money for it, and uh, throwing it away seemed rather wasteful. Are we sure we don't want the waterbed? So they decided to give it to me, and that's how I became a waterbed guy. I could safely say that I was the only kid in Mountain Home High School with his own waterbed, and you might think that this made me the sexiest kid in class and that all the ladies could not uh, wait to take a ride out to sea on the SS Dave Tannic. She would be dead wrong. First of all, 
I'm pretty sure that I never told anyone that I slept on a waterbed because even in the late 80s, it sounded pretty skeezy. And second of all, I simply couldn't imagine having sex on this bed, partly because it was my parents' bed and ugh, and second, because even with the top of the line baffles in the mattress, just sleeping on the goddamn thing proved to be quite the challenge. And even for a teenage boy who had zero sex education other than the vaguest notion of what went where, I could tell that keeping it in while rolling on 20-foot swells was not going to be conducive to as hot, sexy time. Honest to God, my first night of basic training in the Air Force was the first time in two years I'd slept without feeling slightly nauseous. Humans, like all animals, need to sleep, if only for the brief respite from the crushing weight of existence. Damn, dude. And like most mammals, humans prefer to sleep in safe, comfortable places protected from predators. No more learning! I regret to inform you there will be some learning. Now, our evolutionary ancestors would sleep in trees above the plains where they roam protected from said predators, but once we began to evolve, it soon became evident that trees are extremely uncomfortable. Scientists discovered a cave in South Africa where early humans as long ago as 200,000 years made beds carved into the ground of layered ash and plant material, which admittedly is not... It was a $1,500 Sealy Posturepedic pillow top. But scientists believed it did keep the insects at bay while people slept. Stone Age nomadic tribes would create bedding using animal hides and plant material, which could be easily transported and laid out when they stopped for the night and expanded on if they were staying in a particular area long enough to hunt a wild yak or something. And once we settled into agrarian societies, humans began constructing things modern humans would recognize as a bed. You better recognize. Well, I recognize. From wallbybedsbywilding.com, yeah, what do you think? Sources for the history of beds, they're not going to try and sell you something? At a site dating from between four and 5,000 BCE, quote, several unearthed sites by archaeologists from this period give us a much better understanding of beds, bedroom furniture, and the life in late Neolithic age. One of the most well-preserved of these sites is located in Orkney, Scotland, an island located at the northernmost part of Scotland. The settlement was known as Scarabray and was protected by dunes until its discovery. In 1850, Heavy storms washed away part of the dunes to reveal the best preserved prehistoric village in northern Europe. The people of this period primarily used stone in their furnishing. There's a stone dresser which would have held tools and other important possessions. Surrounding this dresser to the left and the right are ancient beds. They were huge slabs of stone that would most have likely been topped with bracken, a large firm, and covered with animal skins for warmth and comfort. Perhaps these could be considered early bed platforms due in part to their box shape, unquote. By the time of ancient in Egypt, we were making proper beds with wool pillows and linen sheets. The Romans were making metal beds with feather mattresses. Well, they were if you were rich enough. If you were poor or a slave, you slept on a mat in the floor. By the Middle Ages, the nobility were sleeping on posh feather mattresses on top of ornate four-poster beds, while the uh, peasantry had a sack of hay you had to beat the shit out of to knock loose the bed bugs before going to sleep. Let's hit the hay. That is literally the origin of that phrase. These were pretty much your betting options for the next 500 years, hay or feathers. Then in 1870, a cat named by the name of Berliner Heinrich Westphal had the idea that if you took large metal springs and put them in a flat case, we could just all sleep on that. Sounds uncomfortable. Hey, you sleep on a burlap sack of hay and see how fast a box full of metal springs sounds like a better option. Vestfall took springs meant for carriage seats and arranged them in a square box, put some stuffing around it, and showed it to people who took one look at it and said, 
Thanks, but no thanks. The idea didn't really take off to the 1930s when modifications and advances in manufacturing made the inner spring mattress state-of-the-art for sleep technology. Everyone was sleeping on one, and while a few people still clung to their feather beds, my grandmother slept on one her entire life, occasionally getting poked by a quill. But it was Berliner Heinrich Westphal's carriage spring coils that we all slept on. Now, up until this point, we've been talking about a bed's primary purpose, we all know that the bed can be used for other things. Scrabble. I love Scrabble. <laughs> sure, I guess if that's what you're into, but uh, what I'm talking about is, you know. Coitus. It means intercourse. Hot, wet, nasty, fucky. Like when Ricky and Lucy pushed them beds together and sang Babalu. When Fred and Wilma went at it Dino style. Or when Matt Dillon and Miss Kitty got the Wild West on. That's the kind of thing I mean. Now, most people were perfectly content with a standard missionary man on top box spring point. But when it came to the 60s, people wanted to fuck different. What, like the back of a Volkswagen? Yes, but also pretty much anywhere else and everywhere else during the so-called summer of love. Sex, the physical act of love, coitus. It was happening everywhere, anywhere too, or very often more hairy hippies could grapple with each other in a patchouli-scented free-for-all of fuckery. And that's when someone thought, hmm, you know, all this fucking on front lawns and church pews is great, but what if we were like, comfortable when we fucked and that dude's name was charles hall inexplicably his creation was the least comfortable bed of all time excepting maybe a burlap sack of bed bug infested hey maybe in a 2018 article by penelope green in the new york times green wrote quote he used jello and cornstarch at first but the squashy gunk poured into a vinyl bladder was too heavy to move and it began to stink after a few days, unquote. I want to pause here for just one second to let that sink in. A bed filled with jello and cornstarch. I do not know how much acid Charles Hall was dropping, but it was clearly far too much. Continuing, quote, then he tried water. Rancid Jello led to the first water bed a newspaper headline proclaimed at the time. It was 1967, the summer of love, and Charles Hall, a student at San Francisco State University, was experimenting with flotation furniture, as he called it then, for an engineering class. He got an A. The following year, after some tweaks, his eight-foot square heated pleasure pit debuted at a gallery on Leavenworth Street as part of a show called The Happy Happening, unquote. If, uh, if I've ever wondered why boomers are the way they are, you need not look much further than liquid-filled furniture created by an engineering student. While members of the greatest and silent generation were constructing literal fucking spaceships that would take us to an actual fucking other planet, the baby boomers were creating fuck pits filled with water. Okay, this explains so much. 
To be fair, the boomers weren't the first people to come up with the idea. Various forms of water-filled bladders for sleeping had been floating around for over 100 years. None other than science fiction god Robert Heinlein wrote of conceptual waterbed as a therapeutic devices in his novels Beyond the Horizon in 1942, Double Star in 1956, and Stranger in a Strange Land in 1961. In fact, Hall's first patent for the design was denied because of Heinlein's futuristic fluid-filled fuck furniture. And boy, they were popular among the kinds of people you might suspect they would be popular with. Head shop owners, a Smothers brother. Mom always liked you best. A member of Jefferson Airplane. You know it was Mick Fleetwood, that fucker was kinky as hell. And of course, Hugh Hefner. This was back when he was still young and hip. I mean, he was still a creepy fuck, but he was a young and hip creepy fuck. Also, Hef's waterbed? allegedly covered in something called Tasmanian possum hair, which you know as well as I do, was probably just jizz with cat hair stuck on it. Now, as you might imagine, any product named the Pleasure Pit, for indeed that was its name, was marketed to and for people who fucked. Rebecca Greenfeld wrote in The Atlantic in 2010, quote, companies use that sex appeal to their advantage with slogans like, two things are better on a waterbed, one of them is sleep, and she'll admire you for your car, she'll respect you for your position, but she'll love you for your waterbed. And it worked, unquote. By the 1970s, having a waterbed in your pad was cliche for the freewheeling lifestyle of sexually liberated dudes. Let's be honest, it was dudes who had them. Dudes with bad mustaches, excessive chest hair, gold chains, and polyester pants so tight their balls were divided into two neat walnuts along the seam of the sack. Think like Larry Dallas from Three's Company, or in later years of the waterbed and Three's Company, Mr. Furley. In Manhattan, the waterbed display at Bloomingdale's department store for a while was popular singles meeting place. Sears and Roebuck and Holiday Inns are eyeing the beds, and Lake Tahoe's King's Castle Hotel already installed them in its luxury suites, Time wrote in 1971. The growing number of manufacturers and distributors with such appropriate names as Aquarius Products, The Waterworks, Inner Space Environments, Joya Putic Water Aquabeds, and the Wet dream can hardly meet the demand. They've sold more than 15,000 since August, unquote. Their pop culture impact was quick and thorough. Brian Van Hooker wrote in Mel Magazine back in 2019, quote, The waterbed soon made its presence known throughout every realm of American media. Porn films like 1971's The Session and Big Snatch featured them. John Lennon owned one. James Bond boned on one in 1971's Diamonds Forever when Sean Connery got intimate with Jill St. John on a waterbed filled with fish. How, how, how did that work? Never mind. Then there's also 1977's The Van, a teen sex comedy that's basically just about a guy who puts a waterbed in his van to pick up women. When you can't make it, you can go fun trucking in the foxiest four-wheel moving violation on rubber, the van. Let me show you around. Waterbed. Mirrors. With Bobby, who kind of likes Sally, it's fantastic. The van, rated R. So I guess right about now, the question you're asking is, uh, Dave... 
How was the sloshy sex in a waterbed? No one said that. The website Broke Ass Stewart, yeah, that's his real name, says in a post titled The Six Worst Places to Have Sex, quote, This classifies as a wild and crazy place because honestly, who even has one of these relics anymore? Classy late 20th century history buffs, obviously, that's who. So yeah, contrary to popular belief, the waterbed actually does not enhance the lovemaking process. Rather, it hinders it terribly as you have zero control over the waves, the motion of the ocean, if you will. Thus, one can't really get good bearing at any given point. Not to mention the fact that once you're done and actually sleeping on the damn thing, any little move the other person makes turns your sleeping experience into a very tidal wave of annoyance. I think the only person who could have possibly concluded this waterbed thing is a good idea is the sea captain from The Simpsons. But at least he admitted after selling a boat to Homer that sunk about two seconds later that, yar, I don't know what I'm doing, unquote. The rest of the blog post, it's, it's, it's a solid read, by the way. So what you really want to know is do I have personal experience with this? Well, clearly I didn't have sex in my hand-me-down waterbed in high school because, well, no one wanted to fuck me in high school. <laughs> Big surprise. But later on, I did date. Well, <laughs> date is kind of a strong term. I was having sex with her while her husband was deployed overseas. But uh, she had a waterbed, and I found the experience of sex in said waterbed difficult. You see, when you bone in the bedroom motion, you need to make certain adjustments to your technique. God, please make it stop! Rather than usual ball-slapping thrust of your hog leg into her love tunnel... Please stop it. I'm begging you. You kind of need to develop a rhythm, a, a grinding sort of rhythm, where your entire naked bodies get into a sort of rocking motion that is less satisfying than the lean back and drill baby drill of conventional mattress sex. Also, the way the entire mattress begins to roll with emotions of your <laughs> slicked up, sweaty, writhing forms can lead to a kind of seasickness in the uninitiated, so there's a small but statistically significant chance that one or both of you might spew. Um, if you're gonna spew, spew into this. Which, look, I'm not going to kink shame you or anything. Maybe you're personally into vomit play, but speaking for me, not a big fan. Also, and this is something that you just don't face with a regular mattress, say in the unlikely event that you're really nailing it, just pounding on the poon like there's no tomorrow, and she starts grabbing onto the mattress and shouting out, Do me, Dave, you chubby drunk sex machine! And she has long nails. Those can go right through a waterbed mattress, meaning everyone will soon be sleeping in the wet spot. You couldn't help yourself, could you? <laughs> nope. Leaks were no joke because you're gonna have leaks after all. They're just vinyl sacks filled with water. Every waterbed owner learned real quick to be attuned to sudden unexplained damp spots on their beds in the middle of the night, meaning you had to get up, turn off all the lights, strip off your sheets and commence a two-hour search for some pinhole point in your bed and then break out your patch kit and seal that bad boy up. Then you had to put on new dry sheets and hopefully manage to get at least an hour of sleep before you had to go to work, and this is if you were lucky. It was rare, but possible, to have a catastrophic waterbed failure, particularly if you bought a budget waterbed. A king-size mattress like mine can contain 250 gallons of water. That's the same amount of water as a large-sized kiddie pool, and if a seam gave way, all that water wasn't gonna fuck around. 
it was coming out. Imagine dumping all the water out of a kiddie pool in your bedroom on the second floor of your home. Get your ass on my lifeboats. It happened and it made the news. On top of this, a king-size waterbed weighed around 1,800 pounds. Waterbed retailers were all like, oh, any resident should be able to handle the weight of a waterbed. But the truth of it was, you just never knew until you filled it up and it crashed into the apartment below you. Even today, long after waterbeds went the way of the pet rock, leases often specifically prohibit having a waterbed in your rental. I pulled up my lease and was right there in black and white. No waterbeds, you pervert. But that may have had more to do with my landlord than any building codes. And the research for this was interesting. All the sources that wanted to sell me a waterbed, which they do still exist, said they were perfectly fine for upper floors, while the sources for builders and rental properties were all like, no, how about that? And when it comes to the possibility of my bedroom winding up in the downstairs neighbor's apartment, I'm going to err on the side of caution and believe the builders. By the late 1980s, the waterbed moment was pretty much over. Parents all over the nation were bequeathing the waveform fuck platform to their kids, hopefully after a good scrub down. By the mid-1980s, 25% of all bed cells were water-filled, and by the mid-1990s, it was down to five. There were several reasons for this, one of which was the sexual revolution was well and truly over. After all, how fucking sexy could something be if my parents had a waterbed? Reagan was president, and the only people getting fucked were the minorities and poor people. Couldn't resist. Could you? Nope. And also, waterbeds were wildly impractical as a sleeping surface. Despite what the marketing says, they're not comfortable. My waterbed was top of the line when my parents bought it, and it was the state of the art in waterbeds. It had baffles to keep the wave motion to something more like a flat bottom boat on a still pond rather than a dinghy on a windswept ocean. But even as a teenager, the mattress was way too sinky it tended to mold to your body rather than hold your body and if you're a person of girth which i was uh, you're gonna need to develop some ninja skills to get out of that fucking thing you can't just sit up and slide off like a regular mattress you had to kind of roll out of the bed because it didn't give enough support to you to just push off as an old person with a bad back the idea of that squishy ass mattress gives me back spasms just thinking about it and on top of that they are stupidly hard to set up and to fill them up takes hours. You will have to run a hose through the window, connect it to the valve, and then wait three or four hours for your mattress to get full. And you best start that process early in the day because then it will take a good 10 hours for the heater and the mattress to get that water up to a temperature above absolute zero. And if you live in a power and a climate where the power goes out because of winter storms, you shouldn't plan on sleeping on your ice cube until spring. If you live in a place where the humidity is unbearable during summer, you know, like most of the United States is now, thanks to climate change, you also find that your mattress, just like you, it sweats, your sheets will get clammy, and sleeping in clammy sheets is one step above sleeping on hay-filled burlap. And you also, you gotta run that heater on the bed all the time, meaning you gotta pay for that heater all the time. And finally, they have a sound. Water beds slosh, which might be nice if you're sitting on the shore of a lake, but it's not so hot if you're turning over in the middle of the night. You can reduce this by spending several hours fastidiously removing the air from the mattress, but again, it's still gonna slosh. 
There were other reasons why waterbeds went the way of platform solds and trickle-down economics, advances in mattress technology, and just a changing social dynamic made people understand they really weren't that great in the first place. Die-hard waterbed heads are still out there, including Charles Hall, who still sleeps on the latest iteration of his design, which and he very much believes that waterbeds are poised for a comeback. Going back to the New York Times, quote, Warren Schulberg, a retailing journalist and consultant to the home furnishing industry, also thinks the time is right for return of this aqueous sleep aid. This generation doesn't have the association that waterbeds eventually got as a place where lonely single men slept in hopes of luring young ladies into their homes, Mr. Schulberg said. The other thing is that consumers have no idea what's inside mattresses. It's all gobbledygook. It's a great mystery, and the industry loves it that way. It thrives on the cat Fusion. The waterbed is simple. It's a big bag that holds water. Unquote. Me? Dubious about the return of the waterbed? In reality, there's nothing a waterbed can do that a good quality mattress can't, and do it without the risk of the bedwetting and the floor collapsing. They were a product of their times in every way. A time when their risque nature was a selling point to a generation of people who believed technology existed entirely for the enhancement of their sexual experience and their personal gratification. Once they moved into the mainstream and people's parents started buying them, they became cliche and all of a sudden they were gone almost as fast as they appeared. Just another boomer edifice that only makes sense to later generations when you realize that your parents were never groovy or sexually liberated. They just like to pretend they were on a waterbed. It's the great symbol of a fake awakening. They were a silly idea that was cool only because marketing said so. But hey, we're no better. I mean... What are dating apps with the waterbed of the 21st century and someday your kids will look back on your sloshy digital fuck machines with the same eye roll you look back on your parents' waterbed? But at least with Tinder, there is a 0% chance that while you're fucking, your bed could explode, flood your apartment, and drop you into the first floor below you. That is it for our show this week. Now, after I finished the main script for the show, I did reach out to my mom about the waterbed we had, and she issued several corrections. First, it was a queen-sized waterbed, not a king. Second, second, she sent me a photo of said bed, which is the show pick, and most importantly, she told me they didn't buy the bed because they thought it would improve their sex life, which I, for one, was both saddened and gladdened to hear. Anyway, speaking of getting your hopes up and then being let down, rate and review this show wherever you get your pods that uh, other people can find us. Be excited to have a new show to listen to and then be deeply disappointed when they find out it was this one. Do all the things Jeremy tells you to do in the closer. Otherwise, he will creep into your house and put a series of pinprick-sized water holes in your waterbed mattress. And so for me, Dave, slapping bodies with a wet, nasty sound like the waterbed mattress against a headboard blood so producer. It isn't the size of the ship, it's the motion of the ocean. Oh God, is this a sex thing? Gavin and all the fictional waterbed salesmen on this show, we want to say, it's true, you just don't want some people sleeping in your waterbed, and those people are you. We'll see you all next week. What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. 
You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Man, you can't even fuck good on a waterbed. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.